to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, and uh, looking at a sincere, a love that works sincerely. And we're going to read verses 6 through 10 tonight, and uh, we're continuing our study. We are nearing the end of Galatians, and I'm kind of praying about the next book to go through and studies, either 1 Corinthians or Hebrews, or the two most likely 1 Corinthians we will be looking at. But anyways... Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse uh, 6, Let him uh, that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let's do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so we're going to talk about this idea, love works sincerely, and uh, going forward on this, we are coming to the end of Galatians. Galatians has been a wonderful study. Uh, We had for quite some weeks, we were looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, let's talk about that this evening, or not that, we've talked about that in the past, but let's uh, go to the Lord and ask for His blessing upon this time. Our dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, I yield this evening to Thee. I thank You for being our wonderful Savior. I thank You for those that You brought out tonight, and uh, Father, I pray that You just bless us. I pray that you'd uh, help us as we look at your word and study it, and God, that your name would be lifted up and glorified. We thank you for being our glorious Savior, and Father, we sure don't deserve the grace that you bestowed upon us. I pray that you'd help me as I preach your word tonight, uh, that Father, you would help us to respond as your spirit leads us and guides us and directs us this evening. Father, that we, as conviction comes, that we'd make things right, as exhortation comes, that we'd act in such a way. Our Father, I thank you for being my precious Savior and the Savior for all of us that have called upon you. And so, God, you take over, take over my thoughts, my lips as I speak, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' most holy and precious name I pray, amen. The love that works sincerely, still along the line, Paul adds this statement as we see in verse 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. And, uh, you know, those who receive instruction in the word should be willing to help support their teachers. Um, You know, he's talking about here in in, in good things and financially. There is a, someone's a preacher and helping them in a financial fashion here is what we see. And uh, Paul is urging the Roman believers uh, to give to the Lord's work in Romans 12, 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, giving to hospitality. And he thanked his friends at Philippi for their generosity, uh, as you'd find as he talked about in the book of Philippians. And uh, Apostle Paul would many times applaud the church of Thessalonica. He would applaud uh, there in that church of Philippi and that area for their giving unto his necessity. And so there is a labor of love that here and uh, and, and the teaching here and communicate unto him that teaches them all good things. And the Apostle Paul is teaching for the leaders there, hey, as you're teaching in the church, you ought to be taking care of the man of God here. The labor is worthy of his hire, Luke 10, 7. And uh, 1 Corinthians 9.14, if you want to look here real quick, I'm not going to spend much time on this this evening, on this topic, but uh, this is what, kind of what's going on here, and uh, teaching unto him and, and moving forward. But in 1 Corinthians 9.14, there is an exhortation of helping uh, those in the ministry. And uh, 1 Corinthians 9.14, even so, I'll give you a second to get there, sorry, <laughs> jumping the gun there. 
1 Corinthians 9.14. Now, the Apostle Paul never really did, he didn't want to be a burden uh, on a ministry. Many ministries would support him and churches, but uh, he never wanted to be a financial burden on an infant church. And uh, the Apostle Paul would have other churches that gave to the ministry and helped him. 1 Corinthians 9, 14, even so at the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. There is a, uh, it's appropriate for a pastor to be full-time, uh, not needing to work a secular vocation, uh, and have the church support them in, in doing the endeavor of working full-time and helping minister to the people, ministering, keeping up of the, the affairs of the church, and so forth. And uh, so this is kind of, but anyways, um, and what we're finding, so the Apostle Paul, as he he ministers, a full-time worker must be sincere in their motives. It's not for money. The Apostle Paul wasn't doing it. And, and the pastor, you know, obviously there's paychecks that need to be paid and other sorts of things. But uh, God is always the provider. And uh, sincere uh, it is a privilege to be in the ministry as God allows a, a man to be in the ministry. And uh, it is a great privilege of the Lord. It is not a right uh, that is to be given. Uh, it is a privilege, and as a church uh, bestows in the ordination of a man for the ministry, and then uh, as he answers that call and God leads to a particular uh, church where he can, or if, even the church where he's ordained. But the Apostle Paul, as he would go out and minister, uh, communicating to him that teacheth in all good things, and here is a giving out, a sincerity of doing it in love as he's ministering to the church of Galatia here. Now, as we move on here, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We have kind of, you reap what you sow, right? And the, there's always actions and reactions of what you do. And uh, the law logically explained here, verses 7 and 8, For he, uh, verse 8, He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, as we understand here, the Mosaic law is not binding on the believer. And Paul wants his Galatian friends to know this. This has been the, uh, if you would, the, uh, the major battle in the, uh, in the church of Galatia is that these Judaizers are coming in. And I know I've mentioned it many, many times over. But the battle here in the church of Galatia is uh, people, you, you need to trust in Jesus and you must do this in order to be right with God. Well, <clears throat> again, they're pushing all of this legalism, which is pushing them towards you must do all these works in order to be right before God uh, and, and adding unto salvation. And uh, that's where Paul had great contention and even would withstand Peter for doing such a thing and giving uh, uh, credibility to these Judaizers. Now, love has replaced the law as the driving force behind the behavior of the believer. But laws and principles obviously do operate in our lives, and we didn't know them. And so Paul has been spelling them out, but the law of the liberty in Christ, and the likeness of Christ, the law of love for Christ, and now finally the law of life in Christ. And uh, God is not mocked. You cannot be a believer and live your life in a very, and however you want to live it, and, and, and think that there's not going to be any consequences just because you're saved. It doesn't work that way. There is, when you begin as a believer, you know you're saved, but you're making decisions that are in clear contrast and violation of God's laws. Now, these laws do not make you a Christian, 
But these are boundaries that God has set for your protection. And if you violate these, these protections, then you're entering into a place outside of the protection of God, and you're now liable to protect yourself. It's a very dangerous place to be. So in explaining the law, he draws attention to it. For example, well-known law, you know, kind of the reaping and sowing, and uh, evident in farming. Again, if somebody is used to in their life reaping or sowing uh, seeds of a lot of anger, you get angry a lot, then what you're going to get out of that is you're going to get a lot of harsh reactions, bitterness, uh, cantanker, these things, as you reap one thing, you're going to get a product, you're going to get a fruit. If I'm, again, I've mentioned this before, but if I'm sowing and I'm planting corn, I'm not expecting to get thistles, unless I have wrong seeds. But if I'm planting corn, I'm going to get corn. I hope so, right? That's our desire. If I'm planting uh, bitterness and unforgiveness, I'm going to get a lot of fruit that are a result of these actions. If I'm living for myself, there's going to be a lot of other things that are going to uh, come because that is what I have been pouring into my life. If I've been living for myself and, 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 and indulging on the world's entertainment and the world's ways, I'm going to reap a lot of the worldly actions in my life. It's going to come. And, uh, and so the idea here, God is not mocked. And, uh, you know, really to turn one's nose at and, uh, you know, depict the scorn with, here's an intensified form of this word, let me read this for you, is used to depict the scorn with which the Pharisees rejected the Lord's teaching regarding the love of money. They derided him. I mean, they were so mocked. God is not mocked. You can't, uh, there's nothing you can do uh, if, if you're doing an action and you are in violation or in trespassing of God's standards of holiness... You're thumbing your nose at God and thinking you can get away with it. But God's not mocked. You can't fool God. You can't get away with it. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever had a thought come into your mind and you thought, oh my, oh my, that's a wicked thought. That couldn't come from me. You know, we have some wicked hearts. I understand some of those thoughts come from Satan, but they don't all come from Satan. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's some actions that I can carry out, and, you're like, and I'm thinking later, how did I ever think that way? How did I ever do that? Why did I ever do that? We can't flaunt God's laws in his face and think I can get away with it. I can't say, well, I'm saved, so I can't, I'm not going to hell, so I can live however I want without consequence. That's a foolish way to live. Remember the David and uh, David's sin with Bathsheba. And he hid it for about a year. He murdered her husband during that year. And he had upon his head a severe retribution of God. God judged him. That baby died when she got pregnant from him. Nathan, the prophet, would pronounce, uh, denounce David, and he told him, he said, you're going to pay fourfold. Four of his sons would die in the terrible uh, prophecy. You have Amnon, uh, uh, Absalom, uh, Abijah, and there's another, oh, that little child died. 
So there's four people that died as a direct result of David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba. It was a terrible, immoral, and unprincipled behavior. Now Amnon was a, a very wicked brother or a son of David. I won't go into it for the sake of those that are here, but uh, David could have invoked the death penalty on Amnon for hurting his sister. And uh, David didn't do that. But Absalom did take care of Amnon. Absalom was end up, and Absalom tried to steal the kingdom, and Absalom lost his life. God is not mocked by even the choices of servants. You think about uh, Moses. When Moses was there and he slammed that rock twice, hitting that rock, the second time that they requested water. Moses didn't get away with it. It doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual life. Sometimes great people who have seen God do great things can in a moment lose it all. You reap what you sow. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And the law of sowing and reaping is just as much a law of the soul as it is a law of the soil. You know, we cannot escape moral and spiritual consequences of our behavior. And we need to accept it. I need to come to, agree, to, to terms. Someone, God, does God give forgiveness? Absolutely God gives forgiveness, and I'm thankful for it. Does God give restoration to himself? Of course he does. He longs for us to have restoration. But in the wake of that restoration, there's scars. And those scars are a result of living for ourselves, of living in rebellion and mocking God and, and sowing to our flesh and reaping fleshly consequences. Abraham would sow to the flesh and reap Ishmael. Isaac sowed to the flesh and he would reap Esau. Jacob sowed to the flesh and reaped Simeon and Reuben. Samson sowed to the flesh and reaped blindness and ultimately death. Eli sowed to the flesh and reaped Hophni and Phinehas. If you remember, Hophni and Phinehas offered strange fire to God and God killed him. And Eli would lose his life as his sons would be killed in battle. David sowed to the flesh and reaped Ahithophel, the grandfather. Now Ahithophel who would end up going to be with Absalom, was the grandfather of Bathsheba. He was bitter at David because David had killed his granddaughter's husband. David had law of sowing and reaping. Solomon sowed to the flesh and reaped Rehoboam. Now Enoch, on contrast to this, Enoch would sow to the spirit and he would be taken to God or reap the rapture. Noah would sow to the Spirit and reap salvation. Abraham sowed to the Spirit and reaped a city whose foundations, which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God, as Hebrews discusses. Joseph sowed to the Spirit and reaped the most Christ-like character and disposition in the Bible, Joseph did. Moses would sow to the Spirit and reap a place on the Mount of Transfiguration. As the disciples, Peter, James, and John, were Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, it would see Moses and Elijah up there. Yes, Moses had some things where he messed up. Joshua sowed to the Spirit and reaped the conquest of Canaan. Hannah sowed to the Spirit and reaped Samuel. David sowed to the Spirit and reaped a royal covenant, the Davidic covenant, which still stands. Was there 
So in this law of reaping and sowing, there's characters in the Bible that reaped to sin and that sowed to sin and reaped consequences. But the same person, David, a man after God's own heart, he also sowed to the Spirit and reaped, as we have today, David, the great psalmist. So yes, God is a great restorer of things that we've messed up. There's still consequences, but as you find in many of these names that I'm mentioning, you think about, man, David royally messed up. He blew it, but God wasn't done with him. Hezekiah sowed to the Spirit and reaped the deliverance of Jerusalem. David sowed to the Spirit and reaped the high praise of heaven. Mary sowed to the Spirit and reaped Christ. Jesus sowed to the Spirit and reaped a multitude. that No man can number whose names are written forever in the Lamb's book of life. Peter sowed to the Spirit. There was Pentecost. Paul sowed to the Spirit and reaped a crown. Stephen sowed to the Spirit and reaped an open heaven. And John sowed to the Spirit and reaped visions of Patmos. So if you're living for the Lord and living in the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness, and you're living in the Spirit, these will be manifest. You, you're, so, you're sowing in the Spirit. You're living in the Spirit. You're going to reap spiritual things that are of benefit to you. There was a gentleman, Robert Little, and a giant in the scriptures, as the author writes, and he was a humble and able-hearted man with a big heart and a wide variety of interests and vast and varied audience that loved him and the church respected and revered him. He had a radio audience. His knowledge of the scriptures was encyclopedic. He was a man with great knowledge of scripture. And he, often, he was often put to test during coffee breaks and like the Queen of Sheba with Solomon, uh, you know, they plied him with hard questions, but we never knew him to fail, says this one gentleman in this illustration. Some years later, an elderly brother came up to him after service and said, Brother Little, I wish I had your knowledge of the Bible. Uh, this gentleman, Little, looked at him for a moment, then he said, My dear brother, you are too late. In fact, I judge that you're about 50 years too late. If you wanted my knowledge of the Bible, you should have started 50 years ago. I did. I have been studying my Bible diligently and intensely for 50 years. That's how I gained my knowledge of the Bible. I'm sorry to tell you, my brother, you can never have my knowledge of the Bible. You have left it for too late. The fact is he's saying, <laughs> redeeming the time because the days are evil, is saying, listen, invest your time in the things of God that really matter. We can invest in all sorts of things, in entertainment and hobbies, and, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these. But I can put so much time into these, I'm neglecting a study to show thyself approved unto God. And therein later on, when trials come, I'm left empty-handed going, I don't know what to do. If you are living for the flesh, and then you're like, I don't like the consequences because it's painful and it hurts and it's, it's more than I can bear. It has to be a realization. There was a long period of time you were sowing to yourself, for yourself. Now, the God's desire is, listen, repent, right? Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. There's a repentance and a confession, and God, I'm sorry. And then walk in the Spirit and allow God to then stop with the fleshly harvest and get a spiritual harvest. We're beginning to see God do things in your life. As we move forward, the law logically explained in verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. 
For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, there's a patience that is required in the Christian life. Nobody who plants something in the garden expects it the next day for that crop to be full. That'd be wonderful. Uh, I I would have to say if if it could even happen, it couldn't happen, but if it could happen, I'm thinking, man, that is one genetically modified plant. I don't know if I want it. Right? I mean, it's, got, it's a major GMO. If that plant, you put a seed in the ground, and the next day, poof. I'm like, I don't know what happened to that, but that shouldn't be going there. I mean, unless it's like a leafy vegetable. I, I don't even know how that could happen. I, I couldn't. I mean, you're in trouble if it's there the next day. You're thinking, I, there, it's been nuclear. I mean, it's nuclear. There's something wrong with it, right? But... One of the fundamental laws of sowing and reaping is patience. It takes time for that seed to germinate and, and to become whatever it, the DNA of that seed is. You can get away with the flesh for a while. You can get away with living for yourself for a while without feeling really any great consequences but there's going to come a crop. And when that crop comes to harvest, oh my, friend, oh my. There are some plants that take several years, like trees. Take years. But God has called us, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We're in a hurry, a fast-paced environment. Microwave, McDonald's, A&W, I want it now. It's too slow. Three minutes, I waited in line, and my burger and fries and beverage were not ready. In addition, our grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, distant grandparents many times, may have lived by horse and buggy. And I'm thinking, how can I get to where I want to go from point A to point B in the fastest fashion? Instant communication. Ah, this phone! Do you guys remember the days of dial-up? I mean, just nasty, horrible sounds for internet connections. I mean, literally, you'd, you'd turn on your internet, and you'd go to a website, you'd go cook your dinner and come back, and hopefully the page is loaded by the time dinner's over. I mean, it was just, you were waiting a long time. Now we're like, ah, the slow internet, you know, and it's still there within, who knows, a couple seconds, right, ultimately. And, uh, but God refuses to be hurried. He always takes his time. We can't speed up the rotation of the earth. I can't change its ax- off its axis. I can't shorten a day or alter the mathematical alter, uh, alterna- alternation of day and night. I can't change that. I, I cannot change when day and night and day and night, I can't change hours. I can't shorten a work week. I mean, you can shorten your work week, but the work week of Monday to Friday or whatever, you can't shorten it. You can't shorten those 24-hour days. There's nothing you can do. God has his own pace for accomplishing his purposes. And so many times it's too slow, (laughs) I have to say. I want it now, God. Right? But God transcends all of time. We are creatures of time, creatures of habit. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. You ever get weary in well-doing? I mean, you're just serving the Lord, and you're like, I am discouraged. 
man, this isn't worth it. There's too many problems, too many conflicts, too many, too many, too many, too many. No one appreciates, no one does this, no one does this. I give up. He's calling us in this passage of Scripture to a mature Christianity to keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Don't let up. Our motives and efforts are many times misunderstood, underappreciated. People are slow to respond. They react the way we don't want them to. Our own physical resources can become depleted. Satan puts discouraging thoughts into our minds. You ever get that way? I know I do. God, this is just too much. Why, why me, Lord? And the idea here of weary, it can be translated to lack courage, to lose heart, or to be faint-hearted. Well-doing is to act honorably. And Paul here is giving a great encouragement. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit according to you're living according, and your desire is, I don't want to live for self. I want to live for God. I want to live for Him. I want to be pleasing to Him. I don't want to grieve the Spirit of God by my thought life, by my actions, by all that I do. I don't, want to, I don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. Keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. And I have to tell you, that is a very difficult thing at times. God isn't working as fast as we want Him to. God doesn't work so I can put everything in my checklist and get it all organized. He doesn't do that. Faith is trusting that God will bring the crop to harvest in due time. In due season we shall reap if we faint not, and to everything there is a season in time, as Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 3. God's purposes take time to ripen. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 20 and uh, verses 15 through 17. When Jonathan requested David, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 15. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 15. Now, Jonathan and David were best of friends. And as the story goes, Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, and Jonathan would be killed in battle on the same day. A terrible heartbreak to David. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 15. Uh, let's look at verse uh, 14. And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. Verse 16 of 1 Samuel 20. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemy. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. The years came and went... 
after this covenant is made, Jonathan says, listen, I'm going to take care of your house, David, if you ever die, and, and vice versa. Jonathan, if you ever die, I'm going to take care of your house. You come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh, we won't look at it this evening. You're welcome to on your own. But <clears throat> Mephibosheth ended up after Saul was dead, Jonathan was dead. Mephibosheth, David found a son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth. Well, in the whole turnover and the, the transition from Saul to David taking over kingship of, uh, of the tribes of Israel, uh, there was a kind of an exodus from Saul's house, fearing that David might come in and try to kill the servants. And so the servant of, of Jonathan runs out with Mephibosheth, drops him, he becomes an invalid, and Mephibosheth is there hiding, and, and then he, when he comes, ends up coming to David, he comes like a dog. I mean, he's just all disheveled. He's just terrible position, terrible state. David realizes him, and he, he says, you clean that man up, give him clothes, and he's to sit at my table every day. He's family. Years came, but David lived up to the covenant that he had made with Jonathan, I'm going to take care of. I don't care. He was a friend. I'm going to follow through. And David would reach out in love. There was a time when Mephibosheth was in distant Lodabar, hiding for fear of his life, and when it must have seemed that Jonathan's request would never be granted. Did David really mean what he said when my dad made that agreement with him? How often it is so with our prayers for our children at the throne of great David's greater son. Really, as we pray for our children, you're like, I hope they turn out. You might have been thinking, for David's sake, David had to run for his life over and over and over again because King Saul wanted to kill him. David had been the anointed king. King Saul had lost the spirit of God because of disobedience. He had partial obedience. Partial obedience is still full rebellion. God doesn't say go halfway. Halfway is full rebellion. It's not I'm going to do this for God, but no, give, let God have it all. Do it all for God. Don't go part way. So often we say, well, I'll do it this way. No, God says, you need to do all that I've called you to do. David escaped from many times from Saul. On, 24, on some 24 different occasions, either directly or indirectly, King Saul tried to murder David. I want to tell you something amazing about David, though. He refused to take the law into his own hands and kill Saul. 24 times someone tries to kill you. You know, after the first time, okay, all right. The second time, ah, he's pushing it. That third time, he's done. I'm getting my militia, and I'm going to put an end to this. David understood that's the Lord's anointed. God will take him out when it's time. And David didn't harbor the bitterness and unforgiveness when Saul, here he is sitting at the table and you have a spear go by your head. Oh, I don't think he was just playing a game. I don't think he was trying to get my attention. I think he was trying to plaster my brains against that wall. And have me meet my maker early. 
You know, David could have given up. It's just not worth it. You know, David even, as the story goes with Saul, David would cut off the hem of Saul's garment to let him know, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And then David would go to the king and say, I'm so sorry, king, that I disrespected your position. I want to tell you something. That's a serious, serious forgiveness. That's a man who's walking in the Spirit saying, God, I'm not going to take it into my hands. David had his own private militia, if you would. He could have killed Saul on numerous occasions. In fact, Saul would even kill a number of the priests because he was trying to kill David. The years came and went. Saul, in his mad rages, jealously and senseless hatred, continued to reign. David had to stand by and watch the kingdom fall apart. As a king with an evil spirit would whisper evil slanders into the hearts of the people. Watch as the hereditary enemies laid God's people low as the Philistines came in and attacked and destroyed God's people. David, his heart broke. God, I know this is the man you've anointed, but he is sure doing a lot of damage to your people. I'll put an end to him, God. Then we'll have a good reign and I'll rule godly. But God didn't allow it yet. David would grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. He formulated his convictions. He trained a cadre of men to help him to run the kingdom when the time came. And in due time, he reaped. His patience was rewarded. As we come back to Galatians chapter 6, verse, 11, or verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Paul's settled policy, you know, tower of strength. You know, it didn't make any difference to Paul whether they were jailers or sailors. It may have been treacherous towards him, but he spoke words of cheer to everyone. Gave a bold testimony to God. A jailer that throws him in the prison cell. Get in there, Paul! cold, dark, dank dungeon. He asked Timothy, bring the cloak. I'm cold. And bring the parchments. I want to read the Bible. That which he had. Paul would urge people to have strength even as he's suffering. When the ship landed and Paul and Acts, the end of Acts, as he's on that ship and the ship crashes against the shore, and 276 people were safe. He took the lead in gathering wood. He goes out of his way to heal the father of a pagan chief of the island. You know what? New Testament believers should be in the forefront of efforts to do good things. Before Christianity came upon the world, there were no hospitals, orphanages, asylums, or schools for the children of commoners. 
Christian missionaries have taken the gospel all over this world in good works in many hands. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the, the radio show Unshackled on Pacific Garden Mission. Hundreds of stories of people whose lives have been transformed. Transformed because as they were in a low point and as an alcoholic or a drug addict or wherever they were at in their low point, someone reached out and helped. And in that help, but it's not just reaching out to give help. Like you go into a grocery store, hey, can I have five bucks? Can I have two bucks? And not just giving money. But it's with the aid, you're pointing them to Christ. Because there's something that's brought them to the low point, right? They've reaped what they've sown to the flesh. And they now need to get to the Spirit. So it's not just giving aid and giving money and giving gift. This is a social gospel that is not of the Bible. We are to help, but I'm always, in that help, it's always to point them to Christ. Because that's where the true help comes from. Now, we can't legislate kindness. Government has many, many times become the arbiter of social activity. People look to the government to take care of the sick, the homeless, the unemployed, and children from broken homes. Social workers, psychologists, and institutional government programs have usurped the church's historic role for the needs of men. And it is easy to leave it to the state, but Paul sees all such people as many opportunities for doing good, but doing good to bring them to Christ, to get them out of that position. But then he says here, uh, do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. He's saying, especially to those who are believers, those of the local church. I'll end it here this evening on this, but we'll start in the conclusion next week as we near the end of this. It'll probably take a couple more weeks to finish Galatians, but oh, man, this is exciting. You sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you reap to the Spirit. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to be waiting a while to reap. But you know what? All that while, God's still with you. The love, the joy, the peace, love, kindness, joy, all those things. I know I've repeated, but you got the idea. Don't give up. Don't become discouraged. Don't let go. In due season... You plant in, harv in uh, planting season in the springtime, I think. And there's a fall season where you harvest. Right? You get to spring to plant. You go through summer. You get to the fall and you start harvesting. I don't know the exact time. You can correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. But anyways, you understand what I'm saying. There's a season for planting and there's a season for harvesting. Don't give up. And you might be saying, as you're making forward progress for the Lord, I feel like I'm just not making any progress. But if you're doing right and you know you're doing right, don't give up. And then it says, as you're going through in the ministry, continue to do good unto all men. Especially those who are of the household of faith. Believers. Believers of a local church. Man, don't let up. There's coming a day where what you're doing, God sees all of it.
Man may not see it. You may not receive any praises of man, but God's going to see it and he'll give you the praises. And so, my friend, a season of a walk in love. As we think on these truths tonight, and we come to the invitation period with a sincere work of love, don't give up. Continue to reap to the Spirit, so to the Spirit. And I promise you in due time, you'll see the harvest that God begins to do in your life and the lives of others whom you touch. But if you're sowing to your flesh, it's time to confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll pray. We'll have a time of quietness and wherever you're seated tonight, if you want to pray in your seat, we'll just do it for a short period and then we'll have our prayer time following. But this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you could just wherever you're at. Just pray and talk with God. However the Spirit of God has ministered to your heart this evening, I trust that you would respond.